And so uh, I've invited Caesar to come hang with us, talk a little bit. Hopefully we're going to uh, see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this. So it's, you know, it's, it, I know we're discerners, so we're listening going, is this really the gospel? Is this biblical? Is this the way that we really live? And so I want you to be ready to do that. And then also he's going to teach in a way where he may ask you some questions today. So it's going to be okay to be yapping. I'm, it's not going to be the big preach-a-thon, okay? So um, anyway, without further ado, I'm going to invite my friend Caesar up here. And you can give him a round of applause. Here's your tea. Here's your tea. Here's your tea. Thank you. So is it only the women that get to do the fondue? Dang. Fondue is kind of like rapture practice. It's so awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. It is super to be, be down here in Portland with y'all. Like, we've always felt like Tacoma is, like, people think it wants to be Seattle, and actually Tacoma wants to be Portland. <laughs> no, seriously. It's way more gritty, and it fits. It's like a little part of Portland got imported up to Tacoma, and uh, we dig it. But it, we, we have like three cool blocks in Tacoma, whereas you guys have like 15 blocks per cool neighborhood. So it's been a blast. We've been down here since Thursday hanging out and talking about what, it, what does it look like to be family together uh, as we continue on. And you'll be hearing more and more about that. You'll probably get sick of hearing about all that. But um, So this morning, I'm just going to share a little bit of a story. I, um, as a teacher, as a preacher, I'm more of a storyteller and a guy who asks a lot of questions. In fact, you guys feel really far away, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay up here just from a getting to see your face, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask questions along the way, and I really am, they're not pedantic, they're not just for the heck of it, they're like, because I really want us to have a dialogue about some of this stuff. So, um, I always say dialogue is kind of like a, like a buffet, like a, a potluck. It, it's really good if everybody brings something, but it really sucks, like if one little bucket of KFC shows up and, and all the single guys get in line first, and then it's over, you know what I mean? So, uh, like, right? So, let's... Uh, Let's be good. Let's be good family, and when we we can actually get to talk, we get to talk. So uh, let me just tell you a bit about myself first, okay? Because we're getting to know each other and being family together. Um, I, I'm part of Soma Communities. I'll tell you that little bit of that journey. But I, I'm here with my wife Tina. Tina's in the back. You can wave hi, T. Hi, T. Um, that's my bride of 27 years. We've been um, we've been hanging around since we were 16 years old together, and we're not sick of each other yet. That's cool. It's good news. Uh, we've got three kids. Our kids are grown. They're, they're pretty much grown. Our baby girl is um, going to be 21 next week. And so she's been counting down the days. Tacoma's kind of like a pub culture as well. And so we spend a lot of time eating and hanging out in pubs without her. So she's been 21 years of at home watching TV waiting to be able to go to a pub with us. So, <laughs> so, so that's that. Um, I, I, kinda, I was this kid who grew up in church, like going to church my whole life. And I probably said the Jesus in my heart prayer, I don't know, every other week for like 15 or 18 years. And, uh, but then, like, I just kind of drifted away from that whole thing. There was no discipleship. There was no real life. There was no real family life as the church. And I just kind of, I was playing in rock and roll bands in Chicago. That's where I'm from. And we, uh, they just kind of went off and did what 18-year-old rock and roll guys do, you know, for a bunch of years then. And, uh, um, but then God got a hold of my life and, and showed me some different things and truly kind of reached in and saved me. Um, I have a friend, Don, who says that there's two kinds of sinners in the world. There's dirty sinners and clean sinners. Clean sinners are those kids who grow up in church and they, they never smoke, drink, cuss, do any of that kind of stuff. And then they sort of just drift into adulthood and keep going to church. You know, they're like, you know what I mean? I was a dirty sinner, you know? I, unfortunately. And so grace is really big to me. Like, I really get it. Like, I've done all the bad stuff, pretty much. And um, grace is really big to me. And then along the way, at 40 years old, because I'm really old now, at 40, um, I, God said, hey, you're going to actually start to help lead my church and be a pastor. Like, and I'm like, oh, you're kidding, right? Like, seriously. And so that, he did that. He changed like, all kinds of stuff in business and called me into full-time ministry. And uh, I started working at the church that we were a part of up in Chicago area as a pastor. And it was a big church, what they call mega church, kind of like uh, this big seeker thing, big pow show on Sunday and the whole thing. And I, uh, 
I was in charge of lots of different departments, and in fact, I ended up being uh, the pastor that was over production. So, like, you got a staff of ten and guys with headsets running around and queuing stuff, and you like, you get up and say, "Hey, Sean, you know what? And you did the announcements this morning. You're 12 seconds over. You're gonna have to tighten that up the next service. You know, stuff like that. It was just redonkulous. It wasn't like it just wasn't like, what are we doing? We're putting on a show, but it's not even that good of a show. Like, no, you know, and uh, you know, the band sucks every week and all that. So. I don't know. So we do, we're doing that. And then at the same time, though, I'm doing all these missions trips overseas. And I'm, I'm in Sierra Leone and Sudan and Burma, and I'm in some pretty weird heavy-duty stuff. But we're with the church, and we're being church. Like, there's really no church to go to because they don't own a thing. They're just under trees during, you know, when they gather or, you know, in a hut or something. And I would be, I'd have these killer experiences of like being the church. And then by the miracle of flight, 24 hours later, I'm back home in suburban Chicago and I'm driving in my new Honda and I'm going down the road and I pull up to the $30 million campus, you know, and it's all surreal. And then the, the, it's big enough that they have like traffic dudes with the orange flashlights, you know, and they're flagging me to the back lot, you know, and I'm like, I got a chip because I'm like, hey, I'm a pastor here. I don't want to park in the back lot. Don't you know who I am? But 24 hours ago, I was with a pastor who has a bicycle and his kids are naked and they're starving to death and dying malaria. And he's got three churches he's pastoring, but one of them got bombed last week and half the congregation's dead. And I'm, I got a chip because I got to park in the back lot. I mean, and I was having the hardest time like justifying and rectifying in my heart. My staff would just sort of clear out for about three weeks after I'd get back because I had the chip. And I was like, I don't want to hear any complaining about anything. One time, my wife and I had our kids. Uh, they were like in this stage of life where they're complaining and, and beefing about what mom's making for dinner all the time, right? You know, normal kids. And I said, you know, kids, half the planet, would be, three quarters of the planet would be stoked if we just had beans and rice to eat today. Like, because it'd be a good day because there's something to eat. And so here's what we're going to do for the next 30 days. We're going to have nothing but beans and rice for dinner. And we did. We did. Now, they still, just so you know, I don't look like a total hard ass, but they... Um, they had their Cheerios and whatever in the morning, and they had their school lunch. But for dinner, Tina made beans and rice. And then at day 12, this is where I kind of was a heart nose. Um, at day 12 was my daughter's birthday, and my wife, as is our tradition, made her whatever she wanted for dinner. And I was like, whoa, 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 what happened? Beans and rice. She's like, well, it's her birthday. So I, we started over. So I did, we did 42 days. <laughs> 42 days minus one uh, of beans and rice for dinner. My kids never complain about nothing. They'll eat dirt. They'll eat freaking rocks now. They eat anything. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, I started having this chip, and I started asking myself this dominant question, okay? Because this church was huge, and there was lots of life and everything going on and really super killer people. But I started asking myself this question. What if we shut this thing down on Sunday? Because that was really pretty much everything was on Sunday. Or there was programs throughout the week to not get people leaving so they would keep coming back on Sunday, right? And we started asking ourselves, if we shut this like Sunday dealio down, uh, who would notice? Who would care other than the 3,000, 4,000 people showing up on Sunday? Like how many people in the neighborhood would know or care? Or how much in the city? We lived in this little tri-cities area. And, I, and the hard answer, and I was one of the senior leaders there at this point, was like nobody would know or care because we had no integration into the lives of the culture, you guys do. See, so I'm, 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 not, I'm not preaching the choir here. You guys get it. But back then, we were like, the only people that would know was the rich neighborhood around us because the, the state trooper and the, and the flashlight guy would be gone, and so they'd be able to get out of their own driveways and get to get their coffee and paper a little easier on Sunday morning. And they'd be stoked that we, <laughs> that we quit. But other than that, no one, I don't think no one would really care because we were not out there. Everything was in the four walls. And we started asking ourselves, what would it look like to live like I was experiencing back in the bush, you know, in Sierra Leone or in Sudan? Like a missionary, seriously. Like, And God did something weird. Every time I would travel, He had me read the book of Acts. Like it always just like, i got to read the book of Acts, you know? So I'd be sitting in a mud hut with a thatched roof and spiders hanging down reading the book of Acts, you know? And it was so alive and it was so visceral and real. And then what I experienced with the people was like being church, not doing church or going to church, right? And it was so, it was like, wow, it's so different. And so I'd read this book and we started asking ourselves, well, why can't we just live this way here? Like seriously. Like why can't we live like a full-time missionary 
in our city, here in Portland, you know, in Tacoma, back then in Chicago. And, and then what would that look like? You know, what would that look like? Let me, this is my first question for you. We can, we can just talk about this a little bit. Let's just brainstorm this up. If like right now, say, just put yourself in this situation viscerally a little bit real. Let's get warm up here. I'm just going to have to just get a little bit of, a little bit of, a little bit of room here. I can't, can't breathe now. Woo-hoo. Oh, man, it's messing up the mic. The sound guy's like, you're screwing everything up. All right, I'll stick that right on the sink dot. All right, that'll be good. Um, the, uh, what would it look like if we took you and your family, or like you're a single guy or gal, so just put yourself in the context, and we sent you fully funded to Zimbabwe next, like, next month, okay? To be a missionary, there's no gospel witness in this particular village. They've never heard the gospel. You get to go make disciples. What would you do? What would the patterns of your day in life look like? What do you think? Think about it. You're there. You're fully funded, so you're not like wanting to waste everybody's money or your time. You've moved your family or yourself over there for one purpose, because God's called you. What would you, what would you do? What would your life look like? What do you think? Yeah. Super. Great. Super intentionality as a family around meals and what are we doing on mission? Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Meeting people. Yeah, like constantly just trying to meet people, right? Get to know the people. The people God's called you to make disciples among. Yeah, absolutely. Good. What else? Get a job maybe in the culture so you've got a natural kind of connection point with what everybody else is doing, coming and going. Yeah. Okay, get to know the community leaders, maybe the man of peace, or in that case, the chief, the local chief. Yeah, I've had a lot of meals with chiefs. It's kind of interesting, you know, especially when they have no teeth and like a skull like up in their hair and stuff. <laughs> kind of like Sean used to have back in the early days when he had the mullet. Remember that? He's <laughs> like, you're done, done. Time for communion. All right, short message. What else? What else do you think you'd do? Find out what their needs were and see if there's any way we could begin to meet them as like a servant. Serve them up a little bit. Yeah. Understand their religious beliefs and their culture. Okay, great. Yeah. Huh? Learn the language. Yeah. And we'd eat what they ate, right? And we would do what they did. And we would try to probably go to the same places a lot. Frequent the same kind of places to build those relationships. Go to the same grocery store, even though it's not that great. Or get your car fixed at the same place, or, right? And we said, why couldn't we, why, why couldn't we just live that way? And so what happened was, is God finally released me and my family to move to Tacoma to try such an experiment. This is how Soma got started. We said, what if, what if we could just go to Tacoma... And live like that, what you all just described, but like really super intentionalized in our lives. Not like, well, I'm going to kind of live the American dream life most of the time, and I'll look for any opportunity that pops up to talk about Jesus, but I probably won't talk about Jesus in most of those cases, but I'll sometimes will. And then I'll fit in, I'll wedge in a little bit of mission or God work or projects. We're like, no, 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 no. What if we actually, like you all just said, live like missionaries to the culture? Let's radically reorient our lives, our patterns, our schedules around theirs with the goal of making disciples. And we thought, probably no one will want to do that. But maybe, I think, we would rather live authentically that way as missionary people with 20 people if we could find them, instead of pretending with thousands. You know what I mean? And so Jeff Vanderstel, who, who Sean's mentioned, who was a really good friend of ours already at the time, who had been back in Chicago as a pastor, he was already in Tacoma with the same ideas, because we've been talking this kind of crazy smack for a few years now, you know? Like we read the book of Acts, like, really? Why is it in here if no one's living it? <laughs> you know? And so we, we moved to Tacoma to try that, and that's, that was the beginning of Soma Communities. And... By God's grace, by God's grace, it's not just 20 people anymore. There's lots. There's a lot of people living this way. And, and, we, and we started Soma Communities officially then as a church in 2004 um, by the launching of four communities, home groups, home missional groups of people who said, I'm gonna live in, we're going to live in our neighborhood with that same mentality, the same thing you just described. So we didn't launch a service. We didn't plant a church service 
We wanted to plant gospel in the neighborhoods and see if the church would emerge, right? And I've come to believe that's really, that's really what we see in Acts. Is they, they didn't actually go and start a church service. They planted gospel in people, in culture, and church emerges, right? And then you regather, right? And you get to talk about Jesus and your life and how awesome it is to be like eternal beings in Christ. This is amazing, right? We get to live it. So, so now we live... We live now with much of the same convictions you do, and we're going to get to work closer together by God's grace. We live now with certain convictions, having lived this way for a few years. First one is, we live with the conviction that the church is a family. The church is a family. Uh, It should be organized as a family. It's not a corporation. It's not some sort of a legal entity or structure, though it might have some of those aspects because of what the government requires. But first and foremost and primarily... The church is a, it's a family. It's a family. Think about it. We have a heavenly father who sends a son on a rescue mission to go ahead and rescue and prepare himself a bride. If that's not familial language, I don't know what is. The church is a family. The church is said as a family. Let, let, me, let me ask you this question. What does a healthy family do in life? Like some of us didn't grow up in the most healthy of families. I, I know that. I can dig that. Mine wasn't super awesome. But, like, what, what are some of the things a healthy family does? What does it look like? What's a healthy family look like? They communicate with each other. How often? How frequently? Constantly. Yeah. What else? They eat together. Yep. I know growing up for me, this was one thing that was cool about our family. It's like we ate together, like every, at least every night dinner was a big deal. Be at the table at five or suffer the wrath of dad. You know, it was like, boom. Like we ate together. Yeah. What else? Coordinate what? Okay, coordinate their activities and time. Try to live life on the same page, enjoying each other, accomplishing some stuff. Yeah. Support each other. Argue, yep, absolutely. Watch movies, yep. In our case, with, with like the blankets all on the floor and lots of popcorn, like that. <laughs> yeah. See, these are the things that a family does. And then no one has to make them do it. Like you just do. You do these kinds of things because you want to, because you care for one another, because there's this familial bond. I think all through Scripture, that's the picture of the family of God. That's the family that God has always wanted and, and called and set apart for Himself. Initially, initially in Israel, but then they kind of rejected that. They, they wanted to live their own ways. But then in the church, completed and empowered by, by Christ, by Jesus. He said, that's what I'm wanting. I'm wanting, I'm wanting you all to live like a family. Because when, when, when your neighbors, when your coworkers, when the city, were, you know, Workers, when store owners, when politicians, when people see you live in this way, extending grace, arguing but forgiving one another, sharing your things, looking out for one another, not because anybody's making you, because you go like, but that's my sister. If she's in need, I'm in need. We, we, it's all in. We're all in. We're a family. We don't withhold. You don't look at your brother going like, man, sucks to be you, but we're over here like with triple plenty. No. When the world sees you live that way, Jesus says, they'll know that the gospel's real. Because people don't normally live this way. When you live that way, we believe that the community, a family, the church, living this way is the loudest hermeneutic of the gospel, the loudest megaphone of what the gospel really can do and does do in the hearts of people. Coming together, diverse people, different people, people from different cultures, backgrounds, colors, stages, ethnicities, money, life issues, all that. When you live as a family, it shows that's real. Second thing is, we believe that everybody, the church, is a family of missionaries. Right? The church is a family of missionaries. Growing up, like I told you, I kind of grew up going to church. When I, when I was growing up, um, maybe some of you had the same experience. This is kind of an older church building. Um, out there, what we call the uh, living room, right? The lounge. What we call the lounge what did it used to be called? The foyer, or there's a, another word I just particularly loved. The, the narthex. Ding! That's the one. 
Thank you. We had, I grew up, the church had a narthex. In fact, it looked much like this, except it had pews with aqua sort of leatherette sort of material on them. I, I don't know, really creepy. Just kind of, but it was cool because you could sit there and really piss off all the old people like going, and your lees would just rub on it. Anyway, so um, in the narthex, there was a map of the world, and it had pins all over it, and it had some 8 by 10 pictures around it of these really sad looking people that were super outdated dressed, right? They were wearing clothes from who knows when, you know? And, 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 and we're like, as a kid, you're like, who's that? Those are missionaries, right? Right? And you're like, wow, sucks to be them, man. Like, and every once in a while, one of them would show up, and they would bring them up, they would bring them up on the stage, or whatever this is called back then. I don't know, what was it called back then? <laughs> and so, and they would bring them up, and they were still wearing that same exact outfit from the 8x10. Like, that must be their picture taken, church preaching outfit. And they would come up, and they would tell you stories of the mission, and they would show you pictures of little ba- black babies with flies in their eyes and stuff, you know, and we're all, then they would pass the offering basket twice. And those were our missionaries. And I remember growing up going like, not so much. I, I'm not going to be a missionary. Uh, that, I'm pretty sure, is off the list of things. Right? And, and they never told us that what Scripture says is if you're the family of God, you're actually always, you're a missionary. Every one of you. It's not a special calling. It's not a special calling that you would just have a couple people that you fund to go take care of mission for you. Right? Jesus said this. He says, As I have been sent, so I send you. That wasn't a select group of people. That was everybody. He said that to the whole, the whole family there. As, I've been, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you now. But it's good news because I'll go with you. I'm going to hang out with you. I'm going to indwell you now. It's even better than if I was just hanging here physically. I'll be inside of you. I'm going with you. At Summit Communities, we've got a map in the, in, the, in the lounge and pictures of people up on the wall. But it's people who aren't living like missionaries. We throw it up there to shame them. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. No. No, we really... That's so bad. We would never do that. We are so, we really believe that everybody's called to be a missionary and live in the ways that you all described when I, when I asked what missionaries do, okay? Here's the other thing we believe. Um, you're all full-time paid staff of the church. Every one of you. Not just a couple people. Let, let, let me ask you. I'm looking around. Everybody's got clothes on, for the most part. Um, everybody's got clothes on. Um, I'm, anybody not sleep sheltered last night? Some form of shelter. Okay? Anybody here not eaten anything in the last 24 to 48 hours? Okay. So, God has completely kept His end of the bargain with all of us this morning. He said, I'll meet your needs. Promise. Your needs are met. Which means He's paid you. Is it okay if He routes your check through like this way or that way? Like some of you get your check from HP, maybe from Hewlett Packard. Some of some like Sean gets his from Red Sea. Others get theirs from maybe from Starbucks or somewhere else. See, it doesn't really matter, does it? Like God gets to, he's he's dad. Dad gets to route your care, your paycheck through whatever source or means he feels like it. But if he does, and we just did the check, everybody got paid, you're all full-time paid staff. You're all full-time paid missionaries. Do you live that way? Do you believe that? How are you doing at living out that missionary identity? Because it's who we are. What if we were to to begin to wrap our brain around the fact that you're all full-time paid missionaries? Not just a couple people. It's it's their job. What? No. No. Your elders' jobs are to be the chief amongst you to lubricate up the ministry, missionary work you're doing. Not to do it. Ephesians 4 is clear on that. Sean's job is to equip you for acts of missionary service. Not to do it. Right? We really believe this. And we've been trying to increasingly live as a family of missionaries. The other thing we believe is because because we have a king who was a servant, we're his disciples, we're his subjects, if he was a servant, we would have to live as servants as well. We'd be a family of missionary servants. 
This is who we are. We would have to live like servants. Jesus said as much, right? He says, I've, come, I've not come to be served, but I'm among you as one who serves. That blows my mind, actually. I mean, we've all heard that verse probably many, many, many times. That blows my mind. I'm thinking, you got, you got the creator of the universe, God, king of kings on a throne, who comes down here, starts wearing the sandals and the itchy robe and a beard, and that's not so bad, I suppose. But, um, but then he serves us. He serves everybody. And we claim to be his servant. How could we, how could we claim to need to have more stuff and an easier existence and not serve people to a greater degree than our own Lord that we claim to be subject to? See, if He's a servant, we're servants. If Jesus is a servant and we're His, then we have to be. We're a family of missionary servants. That's true of us. That's real. Could we live such lives serving one another in our city that when people saw us, it would demand a Gospel explanation? Like, I'm watching the way you're living together as a family. That kind of blew my wiring. I see you're always out and about in your city. Like, most churches, it seems like all they do is try to get us to come to their world, and their world's not that cool. And then they kind of shut it down for like the next six days and 22 hours, and they want us to come back to their world. You guys are all out there as a family, and you're serving the heck out of people. Like, always, like in little ways, big ways. Why? What is up with you? What's up with you Red Sea people? What's going on? Like, could we live as, as such family of missionary servants that it would demand a gospel explanation? I think, that's, I, think that's, I think that's the life that Jesus died that we might have. That sounds like his life, right? He died that we might have his life. And I think that's, that's what he's calling us to. And all of that, okay, all of that, not just with the goal of like, man, that's a cool church, or man, those are nice people. And I'll tell you, in some we've fallen, in my own life too, we've fallen into this trap of like, we're just going to be cool Christians. We're going to be cool to everybody. And then we're going to do some projects and call that missional. Aren't we cool missional church? No, see, there is a goal in all this. There's a goal in all this. Jesus gave one mission to the church. Do you know what it is? Who knows what... What's the mission of the church? I can only find one in Scripture. Make disciples. Go and make disciples. And then he tells them when you do, like, so here's some other stuff. Teach them to obey all my teachings, which means you're going to have to teach them and equip them. You're going to have to teach them to actually obey those things. Wow, there's a concept. And then baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh, baptize them in the name of the Father. Oh, oh, that's right, we're His family. Right, into the Son. He's king. We're his servants. Oh yeah, that's right. We're a family of servants. And then he says, go and make and wait for my power and then I'll send you with my spirit. Oh, see how it all fits together? That's the only mission. We live as a family of missionary servants so that we can make disciples who make disciples. So if we're just living as cool Christians and being really cool and nice family with each other, and even being sweet to everybody else, but we don't disciple them to walk in the ways of Jesus, we're not being the church. We're missing it. We're fooling ourselves. Make disciples. That's what Jesus sent us to do. I've died so that I can now indwell you. I've cleaned you up so that my Spirit can come and dwell in you, connect you back to the Father, and now you can go out and make disciples do the same thing I've done. If we don't make disciples, we're missing it. And I, and I believe, I believe with, with a strong conviction that you really can't make disciples outside of gospel community living together on mission. Think about it. If, let's say, for instance, what's your name, brother? I'm Derek. Derek. Let's say, Derek, you, you just, and, and, and some of us are on, we're all in different places in our journey. Some of you might be in this place where you're just starting to trust Jesus, okay? You're just starting to walk in his ways. But let's say, Derek, that's where you're at. I don't know you. But let's say Derek's just like, hey, I'm going to walk in your ways. And so Derek and I start hanging around, totally hanging out, like best buds, like total. BFFs, right? No, that's, that's girly stuff. Um, <laughs> we're buds for three years. In three years, who is Derek going to most start to resemble spiritually? Me. Me. 
But if he hangs out with all of us, or he hangs out with a small community of people who love and live in the gospel, and will speak from all these different angles and giftings into his life, then he's going to start looking like Jesus. Because remember, see, we're his body. The church is the body of Christ. That's the word soma in Greek. That's where, that's where we got our name from up in Tacoma. We're his body. So we need each other to actually be disciples. I grew up where discipleship was usually one-on-one. I'm not saying you never are one-on-one with somebody. There's times you're going to hang out and say, bro, i got to speak into your life, or let me show you what God's showing me in Scripture here. I was just reading through Isaiah. Man, this is awesome. Let me share this with you. God said I should, you know. But unless we have the body rubbing on each other, speaking into each other's life, we will never become fully formed disciples of Jesus. I'm really convinced of that. And secondly, if we don't live in gospel community, we can't make disciples, but if we don't live in gospel community out on mission, you won't end up a disciple either. Because the truth of the matter is, you don't, your gospel need, your, your need to grow, your need to trust God like with stuff, doesn't really grow much in a classroom setting. Think about it. Like, like say, you know, next Saturday we're going to have a class on like, Growing in the Spirit, or something, I don't know, just let's say that. Growing in the Spirit. So we're going to be over at the Hub, and we're going to be in a classroom, and someone's going to get there early, and it's all set up, and it's comfy, you know, and the coffee's going, there's like, there's some Krispy Kremes up, or donuts, you know, donut heaven, or what, it's killing. And you're just like sitting there, and you're like, man, this is nice, it smells good, the temperature is like, just the way I like it. It's perfect. Good, 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 donut, coffee, coffee. I'm, all my friends are around me, you know? People I don't like are sitting way in the back. I like that, you know? And, we're, and I, it's a class on the Holy Spirit. Royce is up just teaching away. And I'm just like sitting there like, oh, I am so sensitive to the Spirit right now when everything's going perfectly for me. What? Look at me. I'm just glowing, aren't I, you know? See, there's just... But then, I leave the class and I go home and my freaking crazy neighbor, don't ask me why, is flinging his dog poo with a shovel over the fence into my yard. Why would he do this? I've talked to him. That's crazy the first time, but it's really crazy now. And our our beater green truck that we loan out to the community is back with a new dent and out of gas and no one knows nothing. And my daughter said she would so do the dishes because communities come over tonight and they're not done. (laughs) Go figure. And now I'm like, boop, popping a valve. Where's my sensitivity to the Spirit now, you know? See, you don't have a lot of gospel need unless you're out on mission in community. Right? See, unless you're dealing with the messy, dirty, stinky, ornery, grumpy people of the world and those outside your church, you won't need to grow. You won't need to grow much. We make disciples by being a family of missionary servants out on mission. And I'm telling you, because we, we, we're big and so on developing leaders, making disciples. It's all that stuff in the cracks of life where all that gospel need emerges and you're like able to say, wow, bro, why are, you, why are you having such a freak out over your truck? I mean, do you love people more than your truck? Or like, truck more than people? What's going on? And that's, that's the stuff of life. And oddly enough, and this was a big flip in my own mind and heart several years back. Some of us were talking about this over Sean's last night for dinner. We, we, check this out. You ever, heard, you ever heard the verse where it says the truth will set you free? Right? We love that. We love to quote that to people too, right? Like just chuck a rock at them, you know? Why don't you believe it? But the truth will set you free, brother. You know, out here, you like so. Like, Thanks, that was helpful. Got a little green booklet all crumpled up I can have too to go with it. You know, it's like, anyway. Jesus, Jesus said that. He said the truth will set you free. But right before that, same verse, he said something else that we often don't quote. He said, if you'll be, I'm just, this is my own version of it, but you can go look it up. This is what it says. If you'll be my disciple and walk in my ways, obey my teachings. If you'll be my disciple, then you'll come to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now notice the order of events there. If you will be my disciple, you'll come to know the truth and the truth will set you free. I grew up doing it backwards. If you'll believe what I tell you is true, old neighbor, friend of mine, or whoever, then I'll lead you into Jesus in your heart prayer. You'll get set free and I'll start to disciple you. See, it's backwards. And what did Jesus model? He took 12 numbskulls who weren't not believers, weren't Christians, they didn't exist then, And he spent three years living with them, walking my ways. 
and you'll come to know the truth. And the truth is, you suck at this without me. You need me. You can't clean your own life up. You will never measure up on your own. You'll never really love people. You'll never really live as a family. You'll never really serve people with a pure heart unless I do that in and through you. And so he just invited them, come walk in my ways. Come walk in my ways. And then sometimes, Jesus was brutal. He's like, here's what I want you to do. Uh, You two, you two, you two, you two. You go out and do the same stuff we've been doing. And they're like picking up all their stuff and their extra stuff and tracks and who knows what and coffee makers. And they're like, no, 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 leave all that stuff. Just go by yourself. Check it out. Go. See how that goes for you. And then they come back. And Jesus is like, well, how'd it go? <laughs> you know? It's awesome. You, you make disciples as a community on mission. And we believe that. Now, what's our motivation? How am I doing on time? Am I like way over already? I'm doing all right, huh? All right, I'm rolling. All right, so. It's really hot. What, do I, what can I peel off next? No, sir. Uh, um, what's our motivation for this, though? Is it so that we can just, boom, blow up our church service or something? Or blow up our, you know. What's our ultimate motive? What motivates our heart? This is clutch. This is key stuff. It's got to be gospel. It's got to be the gospel that motivates our heart. Not just a better way of doing something. Or so the new flavor of the way. Or the new cool church phrases bolted onto our stuff. It's got to be gospel. Let me see. You think? It's got to be the gospel that motivates us. And we, we've come to realize that, and in my own life this has changed everything, is that maybe I grew up not with a full understanding of the gospel. The gospel was kind of a set of historical facts about something that happened to Jesus for some people. You know what I'm saying? Now that's true, and that's a part of the gospel. But that's not a full picture of the gospel. Like, how does going up to some guy who, or some gal whose life is falling apart, she's been abused, her life's a mess, dudes have never cared for her and protected her in the ways that God has created her to be taken care of and guys to protect, and you go like, oh, well you know what? Like you, you swallow hard and you go like, I'm going to share the gospel here, this is, going to, this, is going to, this is totally going to help her out. Well, Jesus died on a cross for you so your sins would be forgiven. So there. You know, like, how is that helping? See, it's not a full picture of the gospel. We've come to see that, that you need to understand the power of the gospel and the purpose. And most of us have spent most of our lives in the channel of growing and understanding and proclaiming the power of the gospel to set people free. But we never have spent a whole lot of time, if any, looking at the purpose of the gospel. Real quick, I don't have a, like a whiteboard, so I'm going to ask you to visualize some things with me. There's a couple of ways you can do this. There's a couple of ways you can do this. We can look at the Bible and look at the gospel sort of um, across the grain, thematically, propositionally. And that's often how we have. Often how we've looked at the Bible is often how we've had teaching come into our lives. And we can look at the gospel that way. Or we can look at the gospel as a story. The Bible is actually a story. Love, love the Bible as a story. And we can look at it with the grain as a story. And there we see, we see the purpose of the gospel being fulfilled. So here's the, here, let's look at it the first way. The power of the gospel. Sort of thematically, here's how the gospel goes, right? We go, God, eternal, always existed. He's the guy. He's in charge. He's large and in charge, right? Creator of everything. Sin. We talk about sin then with people. Everybody sinned. All of humanity have jacked it up. Rebelled against this Creator God. Wanted to live for themselves. Right? Then you've got Jesus. God comes, to, comes and incarnates. Comes to die as a substitute. Paying the penalty for humans' rebellion that the Father would require. And paying that sin penalty. And then, by faith, if you believe that, then you'll be saved and that will be transferred to your account. Jesus' death, paying for the penalty of sin, will now be credited to you. Okay? God, sin, Jesus, faith. That's, that's, and that's true. That's the power of the Gospel. That's what sets us free. It's Jesus' perfect life lived out where we didn't live a perfect life and then poured out on our behalf. And the Father said, that I accept that. I accept that in place of yours. And if you'll believe that, I will come and indwell you and I will begin to work in and through your life and change you. That's the power of the Gospel. That's the only hope of the world. We'll never change ourselves. We'll never live up to it. We'll never get good enough. We'll never be good enough Christians. We'll never be good enough family of service. None of that. 
That's our only hope. The power of the Gospel to set us free. And in this case, the good news is that God did send His Son to redeem the world, right? And eventually, the whole world is going to be, you know, they're going to know this, right? And the sin problem has been taken care of. That's the good news. Sin's been dealt with at the cross. If you'll believe it, if you'll by faith grasp that that's been done for you, put your hope and trust in Jesus. But now, here's the thing. We also have to have a full Gospel, the second lens, the purpose of the Gospel. Here we come to know the reason the reason for salvation. See, I thought I, I thought I was saved growing up. I believed the power of the gospel. I really did. Even when I was like totally giving God the middle finger. I believed what I just told you. I believed that was true. But I thought it was because for me to avoid hell and go to heaven. Like Jesus, thank you so much that I don't have to like spend eternity swimming through a lake of fire. You remember the chick tracks? The dude's like in the little lake of fire, and he's like, ah, you know, like, where's the party? I, I'm ripped off. Remember that track? It was horrible. Like, you know. And I'm like, I don't want that. So I'm, I'm going to put my faith and trust in you. And I thought that was why. The purpose of the gospel, we have to look at the gospel now as a story. Here's how the story of the gospel goes, okay? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, God created humans to be with Him, to live forever in His image. Okay? But they chose to live a life apart from God where they said, you know what? I looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, and I decided I will grab that. I will live managing good and evil for myself. Okay? Then, redemption happens. That's the power of the Gospel. Jesus comes and redemption occurs. Final step, restoration. Scripture tells us, if you read the whole story, all things will be restored. All things will come under Christ's rule and reign. There will be a new heaven and a new earth where every knee will bow. And there will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. No more tears. No more cancer. No more divorce. No more child abuse. No more war. It will all be restored back to the way God originally created it. That is the purpose of the Gospel. And the good news in this case is that the power of the Gospel that has forgiven our sins and secured us a place with our Father once again now sends us out on a mission of restoration. And how does that restoration occur? See, we're going to see the whole loop come back around. Jesus gave us the command. Here's how I'm going to do that. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Because when little versions of me collect together as a family and they soak into every little pocket of culture, it's going to start looking like me. It's going to start reflecting my Father's glory. What He always intended it to be like. And people are going to see what He's like. Go and make disciples fulfills the purpose of the Gospel. We need to be a family of missionary servants that believe both the power of the Gospel that set us free for the purpose of out making disciples so that all things will be full of Christ. All things will come under His rule and reign. All things will be restored. Now, what happens, what happens if we only have... What could happen? Let's say it that way. What potentially could happen if we only had one lens of the Gospel and not the other? So if you grew up like me, and you only had the power of the Gospel lens to look through, what danger, what could possibly happen? What kind of people could we become? Okay, making converts, saving them from hell. Okay, what else? Good. Who's this Gospel focused on? The redeemed? Me. It's, it, it can become very man-centered, very self-focused. It's about me avoiding hell and then hanging around for another 40 or 50 years trying not to sin too much till I get to heaven. It's not a life focused out on God's redemptive, restorative work. It's based on me. Or it could be. But what about this? What if we only have this Gospel? What if we forgot about the cross and the power of the Gospel to set men free, not their good works? What if we got only a Gospel of restoration? We're about restoring things as a people. What's the danger there? Burnout. Burnout. Amen. 
Yeah, we've got to do, 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 and then do some more. Because we're about restoring. What else? What kind of gospel is that if it's only the purpose of the gospel? Saved by works. That's right. No love in it. And it becomes a social gospel. Yeah, the church's job is to fix everything. No, it's Jesus' job to fix everything. He's the restorer. He's the redeemer. It's His power that sends us out to accomplish His purpose. His work sends us out for His work. Get it? His work in us sends us out to accomplish His work. We need both. We really need both. God is, in Christ has given us both the message, it says in Scripture, the message of reconciliation. That's our gospel power. I've got to tell you where this power comes from. We live this way, there's a reason. Because Jesus died, my sins have been forgiven. I now have His Spirit that guides us to love one another this way. We've been given both the message of reconciliation, but also the ministry of reconciliation, Scripture says. The message and the ministry. So we want to be this family of missionary servants that's out proclaiming the good news like crazy as we live out the good news like crazy. So they're hearing about it before they see it. They're seeing it and going, what the heck is up with you? And we tell them about it. Second Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. He's been committed to us. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. If we're never opening our mouths, proclaiming the good news, I think it's fair to question if we have the Spirit of God living in us. Because the Spirit's really clear on that good news. Ephesians 2 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. If we're never out living out, the, if, if the Gospel purpose is never being lived out in our lives, it's also probably fair to ask, do we have the Spirit of the living God that's about restoration living in us? We really need to be a family of missionary servants that are motivated by the power and the purpose of the Gospel. Both. Both and. All of this, trying to live this out and letting this Gospel wash over us this way, has led us to believe that if, if, if communities all up and down the West Coast, and, and I think all over the world, would begin to live this way and grasp this amazing power and purpose of the Gospel, living as family of missionary servants, that... that, that great change would happen. Many would come to know the Father and be swept into His family and the purpose of the family business. You know? And that's, that's our hope and dream. And that's why, brothers, are, are, we're trying to work together. We're trying to show our cities a kingdom of family that wants to come together. And we believe that God is honored in that and, that, and the glory, God's glory, the word glory means what He really is like is most seen when we do this. And so I, I, am, I am excited, I am stoked about God showing us and letting us live this way and now increasingly getting to live this way together here, here in St. John's and in Portland. We, we believe that the city of Portland needs thousands of these families of missionary servants living all over pockets, all over town. Just thousands of them. Because we'll never have enough church services to get them all in, you know what I mean? It'll never, and they won't come anyway. And so it's, it's my prayer, it's my prayer that we would, we would all allow the power and the purpose of the gospel to radically reorient our lives out on this mission together. God would keep us humble. God would teach us. We'd be learners. We would learn from one another. We'd be shaped by this. And we'd allow God to then shape the, His city, not ours, His city, for His glory. The world would know. The world would see. That the world would demand an explanation from us. The hope we have. Now, every week when we do come together as a family and we do the same thing in our community back home, we, we want to remember that power and purpose of the gospel. And we, we take communion, what a killer reminder of this, this unity, common union, communion, that we do enjoy in Christ. It's the only reason that a, a ragtag bunch of people like us would ever find each other is if we had a common union, a common purpose, a common King, a common Lord. And so we celebrate that now. As we come up and we take the bread, Jesus said, this bread represents my body. Don't forget it. 
And you know what? And don't forget, you're now my body. And this is a body that was going to be broken and just poured out for the sake of others for a gospel purpose. Don't forget that when you get together, would you? And then he took, he took, took wine and he thanked his father for it, which is crazy because he's thanking him that he's going to die and spill his blood. He said, but this, is, this blood seals a new deal, a new covenant between dad and all of you. It's a new deal. It's a new promise. See, in the old covenant, you were to be God's people. He would be your God. You would be His people. But that didn't go so well. In the new covenant, I will pour out My blood, My life. I will be your God and I will now enable you to live out this life. I will enable you to be My people. I will keep both ends of the covenant. Come together in a common union. So, so now, family, as we come together, think that. We're coming together in a common union where God is God and Jesus has provided both His, His part of the deal and ours that we might live in the power of His, His death and resurrection and we might then live out His purpose. But He'll do that. So we don't leave, we don't leave this morning going like, oh man, that was a powerful kick in the butt message. I've got to go live this way or I've got to go harder. I've got to go try this now or I've got to really get in... No. The new covenant speaks that Jesus will do it. It's done. It's finished. Let me live this life through you. Come together remind yourselves that this isn't about us trying harder. This is about us submitting and releasing our lives to the King. He'll live this life through us. I, I, I need that reminder every week. I need that reminder every week. Y'all want to stand and let me pray for us as a family? Father, I'm thankful for Your story. A story that is so broad and so wide and started before time began. And, and Lord, You wrote each of us into that story so long ago, way before we ever existed. And yet, in Your sovereignty, Lord, You bring us all into the same place this morning that we might know You, we might understand You, might understand Your Gospel and, and why and what You want to do in and through us. We're thankful for the power that has set us free from sin and self. Lord, and we are thankful for a life filled with Your purpose. Thank You so much, Lord. As we participate in this now, we're reminded through these really common elements that a normal, regular life oriented around Your power and purpose is true and possible for us today. Thank You so much for that. Lord, would You truly live out Your life amongst us as a family of missionary servants that the world around us would would just demand an explanation and we'd get to just tell them of our love and of Your love and of Your power. We praise You and thank You this morning. Amen.